welcome to the IEEE Blockchain Podcast Series, an IEEE Digital Studio production. This new blockchain series entitled Research Notes in Blockchain is hosted by Quinn Dupont, Assistant Professor at the University College Dublin School of Business and the author of Cryptocurrencies and Blockchains. Professor Dupont interviews Jason Potts, Professor of Economics and Co-Director of Blockchain at RMIT University, Melbourne. Professor Potts provides economists' views on the benefits and challenges of blockchain as it relates to institutional crypto economics and provides his insights on trust and governance in the design and utilization of cryptocurrencies. Um, So your background is in economics, which uh, let's just start with in a rather surprising way, uh, it seems like economists haven't really embraced the study of cryptocurrencies and blockchains as one might have, you know, imagined they would have. And so if you had to make a case for more involvement by the economics profession more generally, where would you start? And, and more generally, what are the tools you think an economist brings to the study of cryptocurrencies and blockchains? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, economists have been late to the um, to analyze the nature of cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And I think a large part of that is that they misunderstood what it is. And what they looked at it and saw was, ah, that's uh, money. We know about money. We've got theories of money. Um, this looks like a not very good money and, and just w- walked away from it more or less at that point. And what they failed to see, um, and I think they failed to see it in a sense because they were just simply too close to it. Um, you know, blockchain cryptocurrencies are basically made of economic incentives. The, you know, that's, that's a core part of the technology. But what they failed to see was what they were looking at was essentially an artificial economic system or an artificial economic um, mechanism that was providing not just money but rules, rules of the game, um, governance, um, organizational structure, um, payments infrastructure. So what you've actually got is the – to explain why cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology is significant to economists, you have to actually start with the idea that what they're looking at here is an artificially designed economic system. And once they can make that leap, um, it, a lot of things fall into place. But I think the, the idea that it was cryptocurrency, which is just a money, but not a very good one because you know, we've already got money, um, has misled an entire generation of economists. Hmm, interesting. And are there any particularly areas of focus that economists have um, dealt with that you think, uh, you know, traditionally that you think are particularly pertinent to the study? Yeah, there's quite a few areas um, that economists are focused on. Um, you know, obviously, as I indicated, the first step is the, 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 the nature of money and what that has unpacked. And this is, in, this is a traditional area of monetary economics and macroeconomics, um, is the idea of quality of money, that money can have different qualities. Um, and in, in a, um, where we're normally used to thinking of money as being something that is basically supplied as a monopoly good and not competitively supplied with ha- enabling it to have different features. So a, a programmable money can obviously have a lot more dimensions and features than a, um, sort of a, a government-supplied money that is just, this is what it does. Um, but I think the, the broader and more interesting aspects of this are in relation to contracts, contracting and the automation of trust. And a lot of what 
blockchain technologies, smart contracts in particular, facilitate is the ability for someone to, to use promise, to make a promise and to have that promise of self-enforcing. And what you end up with then is that instead of, I think the main sort of impact on the economy um, or on economic structure is not just a new payments technology or a new monetary technology, but a new governance technology or a new way of, of organizing economic systems. So what we have then is um, just a basic prediction here that um, hierarchical organization, firms and corporations and so on, are just simply less efficient compared to the ability to now use smart contracting technologies um, to organize economic activity. So um, markets and contracting will work comparatively better because it's just lower cost and easier to enforce, and hierarchical organizations, firms and governments in particular, will be comparatively less efficient. Um, that's, a, that's a shift in the organizational structure of an economy that this technology makes possible. And that's something that um, you know, economists are still, I mean, that's very much in the center of economics. And the idea of what does this do to the organizational structure of an economy is the key question here. And this you've called... Um, institutional crypto economics, which we'll get into. Um, but before we do that, maybe we could talk a little bit about just this sort of concept or emerging field of crypto economics. And, and to me, it seems like there's multiple and I think perhaps incommensurable definitions. For instance, um, Vitalik Buterin, a famous uh, co-creator of Ethereum, makes broad use of game theory, especially Nash Equilibrium. Um so there's these multiple definitions, but what would you say would be a good kind of way of understanding crypto economics? And, and specifically, what does this field of crypto economics offer blockchain engineers and designers? So crypto economics, um, in the sense that Vitalik Buterin, uh, I think he actually coined the phrase in that, in that space. And he's not an economist um, by training, but he's one of the most sort of natural economists I think I've ever, ever come across. Um, but crypto economics is essentially the idea of using mechanism design, which is just reverse game theory, um, as a way to design incentive systems or to, to, to design um, incentive mechanisms to enable blockchains to work or to enable crypto um, currencies to work. So it's, it's using the tools of, of game theory and mechanism design um, to create, you know, to, you know it's, it's an engineering approach um, to create high-powered incentives for whatever it is you want your token to do. Um, so in that sense, you know, crypto economics is, is a branch of economics um, in the same way that, um, you know, that um, engineering, you know, we, we use engineering to, to, to build and design um, you know, physical systems that, that we want, to have, want them to have certain properties, and we use crypto economics for the same thing. So game theory applied to token design is the classic understanding of what crypto economics is. Um, what's buried in there is that there's also it's it's part um, just engineering design of incentives, but those are incentives for humans to follow. So there's also a little bit of behavioral economics mixed up in that as well, where you're designing systems that are where the main incentive is usually a price mechanism or or you know, some sort of monetary reward to incentivize behavior that you that you want as, as an outcome. So I mean that's the classic definition of what crypto economics is um, as as a as a design science so let's let's drill in a little bit further into 
what you call, you and your colleagues at RMIT call institutional crypto economics. And if I can, it seems to me that you argue they address sort of three key issues. The first is opportunism, or maybe what may, might be called the desire to cheat. Then there's bounded rationality, which is the fact that, you know, I don't know everything. And then asset specificity, which is to say that some assets cannot be adapted or transformed easily. And so some of this work comes out of Coast and then Williamson. And 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 what the traditional answer is um, results in hierarchical firms to solve these issues. But you, if I'm correct, argue that blockchains can do much the same. Can you explain a little bit why and how that might happen? Yeah, so the, the basic argument we make here, and this, this builds upon this idea of sort of, of crypto economic systems as using um, mechanism design to design high-powered incentives. Um, there's lots of design of high-powered incentives in an economic system, and these include things like firms and markets as well um, as, as mechanisms for, for coordinating economic activity. Um, the basic you know, answer to the question, you know, what is a market, what is a firm? Underneath these things, you have contracts. And contracts um, or, um, need to be in, uh, written, um, which is a problem of specifying all of the conditions under which they will hold. Um, the limits to that are what Herb Simon called bounded rationality, just I might not be able to imagine or understand all of the, all of the possible worlds in which this contract needs to be written. Um, then the situations where the world will subsequently change, as it inevitably will, and contracts will need to be renegotiated or rewritten or interpreted and so on. So what you have then is a, an economic system in, in the sort of classic industrial sense of it is embedded in incomplete contracts and organizational structures that are designed to deal with this. So that's what a, a firm um, with managers and, and, and people sort of using um, voice and, and instructions to, to organize resources are doing. So you have a lot of mechanisms and, um, in an economic system to coordinate just in a fairly complex cooperation and interactions, contracts, firms, um, and the like. Um, what There are a number of problems in that space. So um, the, 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 um, one of the key ones is just simply opportunism. Um, when we're dealing with the fact that when once we've established a set of assets and, or, or contracts and so on, um, it's easy for me to, to renege if I know it's costly for you to renegotiate. So there's, there's ways we can, we can exploit these, these opportunities. The core idea of institutional crypto economics is just to represent the idea that in some cases, um, being able to lock these contracts in in code and have them self enforced, like not actually have it up to human discretion, produces huge efficiencies in by just simply taking off the table the ability of counterparties to cheat or counterparties to exploit the fact of contractual ambiguities or um, the need for us to reach agreement about a thing. So that notion of digitally enforced contracting, smart contracts, um, significantly reduces the opportunities for exploitation or you know what Oliver William the Nobel Prize winning economist Oliver Williamson called opportunism um, in in organizations and in, in market situations and this is important because a huge amount of of economic activity um, from just managerial monitoring from regulatory oversight from just the existence of all sorts of administrative overhead costs exists for no other reason than just to basically keep everyone honest, um, to check everyone else's work, to ensure that agreements are, are actually followed through on. And that sort of huge overhead cost in an economy can be significantly reduced 
through automation um, that, that comes through smart contracting. So institutional crypto economics is just looking at the idea that an entire economic system of firms and markets and contracts and legal agreements and, and people working in organizations and making promises to each other can run significantly more efficiently um, when, or whenever it is possible for these agreements to be you know, digitally enforced through blockchains. And we actually see, I mean, our, our core argument is, is that that's the huge advantage of, of that the blockchain brings is organizational institutional efficiencies by enabling contracts and promises to work better. Um, and that's a different argument to saying that, you know, and you also have cryptocurrencies, which is better money and or programmable money. Um, you get that as well. But institutional crypto economics is the argument of taking institutional economics and what it says about um, the, the types of organizational efficiencies that that you can design into an economy um, and recognizing that digital automation of these things through, you know, blockchains um, through enabling them to work in a decentralized way produces significant on some margins in some places, but in important places um, gains in efficiency and productivity um, in, in contracting. Now, what that then means is that um, a global decentralized market economy should just work a whole lot better. And we think that that's one of that's the reason to be excited about this technology for the coming decades is that this productivity improvement in how contracting works can drive huge efficiencies throughout you know, just all parts of the economy. And that's institutional crypto economics is the study of that institutional economics applied to digital contracting. Okay, so let's, let's dig in a little bit more into uh... Smart contracts. You mentioned incomplete um, smart contract, uh, incomplete contracts. Um, of course, then the opposite would be complete contracts. Um, what, what's, what, what is this? What, what's an incomplete contract, and how does it relate to a smart contract? And and maybe also while you're at it, if you could say something about how trust is modulated um, in as this, uh, you know, within this sort of model of a transaction cost analysis. Yeah. So complete contracting is, is, is what it says on the box. It just means when I can specify in my contract, all of the contingencies to a, to a contract um, and, and write those down and, and you agree to them. And this way we've got a contract that will deliver what we, what we both agreed to in our bargaining situation, but also all, deal with all of the various contingencies. Now, the key point is that that's costly to do. Um, if we can write a simple contract saying, you will deliver me one cow on Wednesday or, or, or whatever the contract is, that's fine. But um, I didn't specify what size of cow. I didn't specify what time on Wednesday. I didn't specify what happens if you know something happens on Tuesday that makes that difficult. So we can we can write a more complete contract by adding addition, by putting more time and effort into doing so. Um, and the... The implication is, is that at some point, it's just not worth doing that. So at some point, we'll just go, look, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll use trust um, to, re to, to deal with any contingencies or specifications that are required in the future. And you know, just lots of contracting works like that. And the, the, the most obvious one is employment contracting. Um, you know, you, your job contract doesn't specify in great details what you're going to be doing next Wednesday. It just says roughly who you're, you know, who you're working for, who your current boss is the amount you'll be paid, and everything else will be worked out on the fly. So that's a situation, employment contracting is actually one where smart contracting wouldn't work very effectively. Smart contracting works well 
when we can specify in reasonably complete detail all of the terms of a contracting. So smart contracts work fantastic for finance, um, where we where we'll have the, the all of the terms of the um, you know the instrument, let's say the debt instrument or whatever it is, the the um, and conditions. So different areas of the economy are more amenable to fully detailed contracting. And wherever that happens, we can push smart contracting into that world. And we can expect it to um, just lower the cost of all of the other mechanisms of dealing with trust, such as regulatory enforcement or managerial oversight and, and other such things. Um, so, you know, wherever trust is cheap, um, we'll tend to not use smart contracting. So trust is cheap when we know each other very well, when we're dealing with a very local situation. Trust is expensive when I'm dealing with strangers, when I'm dealing with people um, that I've never met before. They might be in a foreign land. With, it makes it difficult for me to enforce a contract. So there's different circumstances under which trust is expensive and contracting is expensive. And that sort of equilibrium of what things get written in complete contracts and what stuff do we rely on mechanisms of trust, including you know, management and and monitoring and just other ways of 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 of, of um, enforcing the the spirit of a contract so smart contracting technology shifts where that line is by enabling us to move more and more into the into the space of of complete contracting um, but you know that said the fundamental limitation of um, the the realms of smart contracting of where we can push it is we have to be able to specify in, in reasonably complete detail or, or contingencies of the world or have ways of, of, of writing um, things that will happen in the real world into you know, um, statements in a contract, in, a, in, in code that, that, that can be recognized um, is, you know, is the limits of, of what we can do with, with smart contracting and blockchain. Um, but I, I think what's also interesting here is that that's, a, that's a, an open technological possibility. So the whole space of oracles, for instance, or other ways of other technologies that, that communicate facts about the real world, you know, whether these are price oracles or event oracles or you know, whatever it is to feed into smart contracting, increases the space of what we can potentially write and the types of economic activity we can coordinate using smart contracting and its full digital infrastructure. So I think what, what we're seeing at the moment is a world where that space is, is still, you know, most contracts in the world have a lot of contingencies and openness and, and incompleteness built into them for efficiency reasons. But um, as the digital economic infrastructure of, of, of smart contracting and oracles and all of the other components of that um, and, other, you know, and lots of things in DeFi are, are, are feeding into this now, um, it's going to be just rolling out the space of new economic institutions that are increasingly natively digital. And as economic institutions of coordination, contracting, enforcement, monitoring, and so on, become increasingly natively digital, um, we can get the efficiencies that come from just very, very low-cost um, execution and delivery of contracting. And this is, again, this is the you know, 
from the Industrial Revolution onwards you know, to relatively recently, so much of the gains of productivity and wealth in an economy came from improving physical technologies of ability to do work or to you know, better, faster, cheaper, with more power and more strength and so on. What we're entering into now is a world where technologies are pushing into contracting, this ability to coordinate um, amongst strangers at ever greater scale and complexity. And this is the, you know, right at the center of that is this question of complete and incomplete contracting. Hmm. So it's interesting that you say trust uh, is a cost, which of course is probably only something an economist would say. Um, but you also point out in, in, some, in, your, in your most recent work, um, your book with your colleagues at RMIT, you talk about governance as a cost as well. Um, which is a an, an interesting kind of counterintuitive way of looking at this. And so maybe you could just say a little bit more about what governance means in the context of blockchain and, and, and specifically why engineers and developers should really be aware of this. Yeah, let me start with we, why trust is a cost. So trust is, is often, you know, from a human psychological perspective, seem to be a good thing that good people have, um, that you know, a, a trusting society is a good society. But the reason for that is in a world without trust, it's just very expensive for me to interact with you because I, um, you can make promises to me, but they're meaningless. Um, I, have to, I have to spend a lot of time and effort monitoring what you're doing and, and, and so on. So trust is, when, you know, when, when, when counterparties have trust with each other, they can coordinate very cheaply. They don't have to spend a lot of effort checking each other's work and monitoring what they're doing. They can just let them get on with it. So we can think of trust as a kind of capital in that sense, that the more resources we put into the quality of trust, the lower the cost of coordination that we can do um, in an economy. And we did some recent work on this. So we tried to estimate the, you know, how much do we actually spend on, on trust in an economy. And the number we came up with was you know, very back of the envelope, but about a third of the economy is just people checking other people's work. Um, you know, it's the entire accounting profession is nothing but, but people checking other people's work, um, most large amounts of management, and just you know, large, the entire regulatory apparatus of government is just people checking other people's work. So, um, you know, so trust is a is a cost, but that means improvements in technologies of trust reduce those costs um, and therefore bring benefits for the ability of people to cooperate and coordinate um, increasingly at scale. So that's the sense in which which you know trust is a cost. Yes, therefore reductions in the cost of trust are good because they enable us to to cooperate and coordinate better. Um, governance is the same thing. Um, governance is an aspect of this where you know, the reason we have governance is um, when we just need to update agreements that we've made or when we need to um, monitor what someone else is doing. So the agency costs, um, if, if I supply capital to your organization and you're now a, you know, an entrepreneur or a manager using my capital, um, I need to monitor what you're doing with that. Um, just to ensure that 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 I'm not being exploited, and um, you know that the terms of the contract, I'll give you this capital in return for such and such, whatever, are being met. Um, governance is an aspect of me designing rules to lower the cost of of that, or to minimise the ability of you to exploit me. Um, again, that's mechanism design. That's in the zone of what we talked about earlier with crypto economics. But governance just arises when there's multiple people involved that need to arrive at you know, 
cooperative agreements with each other, contracting, but it, it's costly to monitor and enforce those and also costly to change those as things go on. So um, you know, we need to design, we need governance mechanisms whenever the world is open and complex and contracts are complete, and we're going to need to change our agreements going forward. Um, so, um, and the more complex the organization you're building or the more complex the contractual apparatus you're building, the more you need governance mechanisms um, to you know, protect everyone in that space. So governance is just, a, it's also a design science um, in the sense that you know, you're trying to design a series of mechanisms that will incentivize um, counterparties or agents um, or just other parties to agreements to behave in ways that the that other parties said, you know, if I'm providing capital, for instance, is the classic example of the need for governance. Um, but just to you know, ensure that everyone is behaving in ways that they agreed to. Um, so you know, governance is, is sort of like rules of the game um, in the game theoretic sense. But the you know, governance is also a choice. You can have more of it or less of it. Um, the more you put in, the more costly it is because you're requ- you're requiring more. You're putting more conditions on other parties, you're requiring just more effort involved in monitoring. Um, a classic exercise of governance is voting, for instance. Um, voting is costly in time and effort and gathering information and enforcing votes and ensuring it all takes place. Um, the least costly form of governance is no governance at all, where you just write the rules and let it run. Um, in a sense, you can think of in the cryptocurrency space, um, sort of Bitcoin has minimalist governance, and it's, the rules are just there. It's very, very hard to change them. Um, you know, there's a core um, group that that is responsible for that, but that's minimal governance. But that also means that those rules can't be. You know, you, you better be sure that those are the, the good rules that you want going forward under all circumstances. Um, different token ecosystems have different levels of governance. Um, the more complex those rules are, the more variable they are, um, the more costly that is. But what you get in return is the ability of those rules to adapt to new circumstances or um, you know, to, to be able to live in a more complex world. So in that sense, it's a tr- just a trade-off. Um, governance isn't an unmitigated good where more of it is always better. Um, more of it enables greater flexibility to a world of change or ability to renegotiate contracts. But governance itself is a costly mechanism. The more you put in, um, the more just sunk costs are are involved in um, monitoring who is party to governance, how is this working, gathering information, and and changing and updating rules and so on. So at some point, you can sort of conceptualize this idea of there's an optimal level of governance that isn't somewhere between zero and one, as it were. Um, just in the same way that that, that is also true of trust. Um, zero trust is horrible because um, all you do is spend your time monitoring the counterparty. Um, complete trust is lovely, but is also incredibly expensive to build because it only works in a very narrow circumstance of people who know every everything about all of the counterparties and have perfect enforcement over them. So again, um, what we've got is a convex solution space. Um, Governance and trust are, inst- are um, required or invite institutional trade-offs between the problems of monitoring and um, um, and the costs of that versus the benefits of being able to renegotiate contracts and live in an open world where you don't have to specify everything in advance. 
Thank you for listening to our interview with Professor Jason Potts. To learn more about the IEEE Blockchain Initiative, please visit our web portal at blockchain.ieee.org.